fight to find atmospheres that you are afraid to speak. You ever been in an atmosphere? Like I've been in, I've been in rooms with Bishop T.D. Jakes. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today we're sitting down with Johnny Wimbry to talk about network marketing, taking risks and creating change in your life. Okay, Johnny is somebody who I've been watching from afar for a while now. This dude has a crazy story that he's gonna get into, but he had a felony charge on his record at a very young age, which went on to impact his entire life. He had some real revelations early on that really showed him the path that he didn't wanna be going down. He saw himself going down this path and realized it was not the path that he wanted to go down. And then he made this huge, massive, like changed his 180 degree turn and, and ended up in network marketing. He was able to grow his own business. And then also from then until now, he's actually created over 30 millionaires in the network marketing space. Okay, he took people from literally ground zero to millionaire um, through teaching them how to be effective network marketers. Now he's also big in the public speaking space as well. This dude's a well-renowned motivational speaker, uh, runs in circles with Les Brown and other amazing, amazing people. So I was super stoked to sit down with this guy today, chat it up with him and get to hear about his experience and how you can begin to go out there and really create change in your life, okay? Whether you are in the network marketing space or not, um, what we're talking about is, is universal. And, and we're also talking a lot about risk, okay? And how you can start to think about risks because Johnny's methodology or mindset behind how he thinks about risk is very interesting to me. And I think it could be a really useful framework for a lot of you guys out there who are struggling with getting outside of your comfort zone or making real progress, making real strides in the areas that are important to you. So whatever you're trying to make progress in, I think this episode can really bring a lot of value to you. So I'm super stoked to share it with you. So without further ado, wherever y'all are at, if you're at the gym, if you are commuting to work, wherever you are on this amazing day, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Johnny Wimbry. All right, Johnny. So welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm incredibly well, man. Thank you so much, Apple, for having me on your show. I'm super excited to talk about Young Smart Money, man. It's an honor to be your guest, brother. It's my pleasure to be speaking with you, man. I've been watching you for a while, and our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro to this episode, but for those of them that aren't super familiar with who Johnny Wimbry actually is, give us a quick like 60-second snapshot of where you're at right now. Absolutely, man. Listen, I'm, I'm in uh, South Lake, Texas right now in my studio um, here at Wimbry Training Systems. I'm a motivational speaker. I'm an author, um, um, a multi-million dollar uh, um, producer in the network marketing industry. Have a team of, you know, over, well over 100,000 customers and members in over 40, uh, 40 countries around the world. So I balance and I juggle the network marketing industry as well as the personal development industry. And I also help individuals find their voice as a public speaker. Um, you know, Les Brown is like a father to me and he just put me under his wings. And a lot of the things that he has taught me to be a standout speaker, now I'm training um, speakers as well across the world. Man, I love it. I'm super stoked to dive into that. There's a lot of things there that, that my audience is extremely interested in. So First thing I want to touch on, though, is where I like to start off off all my episodes at is sort of flashing back in time to your early upbringing. Okay, we have a younger yeah. listener base on the podcast. So talk to us about those middle school, high school years for you. Okay, like, what did that time period look like? I know there's a lot of stuff going on in yeah. your life, especially in that time period. So so give our listeners a bit of a feel for what that was like. Absolutely. First off, listen, if you're listening to this um this particular question that Apple just asked me, I really want you to slow down um, because I know the audience um, that, that that you populate more so, you know, those young 
hungry individuals and you're asking about middle school and high school, um, that's where I messed up a lot. You know, that was a time of my life, you know, if I, you know, rewind it just a little bit, my first memory in life was living in a battered women's shelter. So I was homeless, you know, um, as a youth, I was raised around gangs and violence and drugs. I failed the second grade. It's, um, you know, my son finishes the second grade today. Like my son finishes the grade that I failed and he finishes today and moves on to the third grade. So a lot of times, man, we allow these labels to dictate, you know, um, you know, our future because we borrow these labels and, you know, as a, you know, being, you know, battered women's shelter, being homeless, uh, father was an abusive alcoholic. That's a label failed the second grade. That's a label was put in special ed when I was in sixth grade for one day. That's a label. So the most important thing about my life is the fact that where I come from, it doesn't dictate where I'm going. I don't borrow my past to dictate my future. I believe that everything that I've gone through in my life has created me into the man that I am today. I wouldn't change any of that. The only thing that I would change when I was in seventh and eighth grade, you know, I was exposed to gangs and violence and drugs. By the time I was a freshman in high school, I was selling crack cocaine and made a lot of bad decisions. But I, I began to participate in the environment that I was exposed to. And, and, and that's my fault. You know, I'm not a victim of that. I subscribe to that mindset. And if you're listening to me right now and you're in those years of your life where you're, where you're starting to make decisions, all I would say, if I can go back and do it all over again, the only thing that I would change is I will believe in myself sooner. I would believe that Johnny Wimbry deserved another chance sooner. I would believe that, you know, Johnny Wimbry, regardless of everything that I've gone through, it doesn't have to dictate where I'm going. So here I am sitting in front of you right now, you know, uh, when I was in high school, um, I sold guns at school. I sold pagers. I don't know if you guys remember what beepers and pagers <laughs> are. Uh, but I did a lot of bad things that, that I'm not proud of. But I will say this. One thing that made me different is I never found myself in a situation where I was proud of myself when I was doing that stuff. So I wasn't, I wasn't the guy who wanted to be the popular bad guy or the popular drug dealer. I wanted to be the guy, you know, that was, you know, so far off the radar because my purpose was just money. It was getting out of the hood. It wasn't to be kingpin or anything like that. So I've always had a mindset of, a, of an exit strategy, which we know really doesn't exist in, 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 you know, in that street world. But one thing that I did master is the art of taking risk. And Apple, you know, the number one reason that people aren't you know, successful in life is because they're afraid to take risk. Well, my life was a risk. I, I was a walking, talking risk. Every time I walked out of the house, my life was in danger. Um, my freedom was in danger. So taking a risk is something that I mastered long before I became a true entrepreneur, which, which really is the foundation of my success today. Oh, that's huge, man. That's huge. And, and your story is, is extremely, extremely impactful. Um, talk to us a little bit more about risk. Like talk to the young listener now who, who, isn't, isn't taking risks in their lives for, for whatever reason. Maybe they just don't want to get outside their comfort zone. They're, sure. they're in this rut and they, they feel pretty, pretty confident just doing what they're doing. Um, talk, to, talk to them about how they can begin to, to implement like risk-taking. Well, 100%, man. Listen, it, you know, there was a study that I read. Uh, maybe I was 22 years old. I'm 44 today, so I was 22 years ago. Shout out Emmett Smith, 22, my homie. <laughs> um, but... When I was about 22 years old, I, I read something that said the number one regret for elderly people on their deathbed 
Like you would think that the number one regret for elderly on, on their deathbed is, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids, spent more time with my wife. I would have done this. I would have traveled more. Yeah. That is not the number one regret. Hmm. The number one regret for elderly people on their deathbed, and you got to understand, they're on their deathbed. <laughs> they're not going home. Like they have no reason to lie. They have no reason to exaggerate. They have no reason to fabricate. They're not going home. They're on their deathbed. The number one answer for elderly people on their deathbed, the number one regret is, I wish I would have taken more risk. Now, if you're a young person and you're listening to this, you don't have to be incredibly you know, um, smart with, you know, with books to understand what I'm about to say. This is super simple. And it took me a while to get the revelation, but here's my revelation from that statement because it kind of confused me. I didn't really believe it but it makes sense. People, Apple, people who don't take risk, they become habitual, not risk takers. So they live a life and they become a person who creates this safety mechanism where they don't take risk. Now, here's the thing. Taking a risk is a moment. Not taking risk becomes a lifestyle. I believe the elderly people, they were wanting us to know, listen, Push yourself into the deep. Take a risk because it's only a moment. But if you become a person who be, who's a habitual, non-risk-taking individual, you have the habits of not taking risk, that becomes a lifestyle. So if the number one regret for elderly people on their deathbed is they wish they would have taken more risk, I would go to say the message is take risk. Don't be me. Don't die taking your last breath wishing the woulda, the coulda, and the shoulda. That's what they were wanting us to know. Straight up, man. That's powerful stuff. So how, how do you know what's a risk worth taking? I mean, obviously, like one risk you could take is like sell guns at school. Like that's a risky thing to do, but right. it's probably not the smartest thing to do. So how, how do you figure out what's a smart risk for you to take? I, I love that. And I appreciate your honesty. I, let's listen. If your risk is not putting anybody else in harm, if your risk is not breaking the law, if your risk is not causing you to sacrifice your moral characters, in other words, if I take a risk, I'm not stepping on anyone, I'm not hurting anyone, I'm not lying, I'm not manipulating, I'm not breaking the law, I'm not sinning, go for it. Take that risk. That's how you calculate it. Mm. If your risk requires somebody else to go down, and I'm not talking about competitively. I love taking people down competitively, <laughs> but that's just business. But I'm talking about if your mindset is, if I lie on this person, that's going to get me to where I need to go in life. If I cheat, that's going to get me to the next level in life. That's not a risk that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a bona fide risk, an investment, you stepping out you know, of your zone. It's funny that you asked me this question because you know, I've helped over 30 people become millionaires in the network marketing world. That's just network marketing. Every single one of them were broke when I met them. And all of these individuals were, I would say 90% of every million dollar success story that I've ever been, able, been a part of in the network marketing world, they all were broke when I met them, number one. And number two, they were in their 20s. Every one of them. I teach the, 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 the art of mastering taking a risk. You've got to participate in your own rescue. You, if, if, if you're, you know, my rescue required taking risk. I wanted to get out of the hood. I wanted to get away from generational poverty. I wanted to be that first generation millionaire. So taking risk became a lifestyle. It mm -hmm. used to be, 
Am I going to live tonight? Am I going to make it home tonight? That sounds a hell of a lot more risky than what if I invest in going to this seminar that costs $500? What if I, you know, what, what, what if I invest $1,000 to spend, you know, 30 minutes on the phone with Johnny Wimbry to hire him, you know, before a consultation to see if, if, if you even qualify to be coached by me? Is it a risk to pay $1,000 to be coached by me just to have an introductory conversation? Yes, that's a risk. It's a risk. But here's the bottom line. If you're going to take a risk, you might as well take a risk in someone who's proven, someone who's documented. Apple, I teach people you can't follow parked cars. You can't follow a Rolls Royce if it's parked. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it's in your best interest. It's got to be moving. It's got to be proven and practical. 100%, man. So how, because a risk is a moment. Like you said before, man, a risk is a moment and it's a moment you make a decision. But before you make that decision, there's this flinch. There's this hesitation that people experience because humans are risk averse. Like we are naturally not programmed to want to take risks. So how have you found ways to get past that? Like how have you found ways to, to eliminate or reduce or get past that sort of like flinch that, that people feel when they're thinking about taking a risk? You actually have to learn not to be a risk taker because you were really? born a risk taker. Like we're all born risk takers. Think about your first race in life. Your first race in life was a risk. There are 100 million sperm cells racing for the exact same job. And that job was life. 100%, you are going to die or you're going to live. So you're, the, the, the first inkling of your natural makeup was a risk. But there were 100 million other sperm cells that wanted your job, but you made it. That's number one. Number two is learning how to crawl is taking risk. Learning how to stand up as a child. You don't have kids. I do. I have three kids. So all three of my kids started this process of pushing themselves up on the couch, pulling themselves up on the coffee table, pulling themselves up on my leg to grab themselves, to plant their two feet, only to the point when they start shaking out of control and they fall to the ground. Getting back up from that is a risk. Well, I'm not going to pull myself up again because mommy's going to laugh at me. Daddy's going to laugh at me. My big sister, my big brother's going to laugh at me. Children don't give a damn about you laughing at them. They don't care. They're risk takers. They are masterful risk takers. My kids, all three of them, every time they fell down, they smiled and got back up. Why? They enjoyed the process of taking the risk of falling again and again and again because they simply said, if mommy can do it, I can do it. If my big brother can do it, I can do it. We come from a me too society. If you can do it, me too. If you can become a millionaire, I can become a millionaire. But that's, that, that's the nine month old you. The nine month old you thought like that. The 19 year old you, maybe not so much because we're deprogrammed. We're, we're born to win, we're programmed to fail. Hmm. Where's that programming coming from? Society. It's society. Listen, when I was a kid on Saturday morning, uh, when I was a kid, you know, Saturday morning cartoons was a big deal, right? That's what yeah. we, we, and you know, you didn't have that many channels, but Saturday morning cartoons was a big deal. And there was this little commercial that used to come on um, promoting um, healthy eating habits. And it was like this little grungy, ugly uh, creature. And the song was, you're a yuck mouth because you don't brush. 
You are what you eat from your head down to your feet. That's a message. You are what you eat from your head down to your feet. So whatever you're listening to the most, that's who you are. Whatever entertains you the most, that's who you are. Whatever you're listening to the most, that's who you are. If you hang around nine negative, complaining, you know, bitchy people, you're number 10. That's where it comes from. Mm. Straight up. So Johnny, I I'm curious as well, man. I want to hop back into your story because I'm sure our listeners are curious, man. How did this guy who was selling guns at school end up the place where you're at now? So when, when did things start to change for you? I know um, there, there was a felony charge that came up for you um, throughout your high school years. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Um, so in high school, um, a friend of mine was murdered. Um, and I was a junior in high school. He was a senior in high school at another school. We went to middle school together. And this is my boy. You know, we grew up together. Um, we're pretty rough, man. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I, my, I look at my kids and I look at their age they are right now. And I can't imagine them seeing what I saw. What, what, what I, saw. I, I can't imagine them thinking what I thought. Can't imagine them having access to what I had access to. Um, and, you know, a, a friend of mine was murdered. I was watching the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl game in 1993. Phone rang um, during the halftime. Um, and hold on one second. Um, I just got kicked off live for some reason. But, um, and I just remember my phone ringing, um, home phone. And I answered the phone, hello. And my homeboy Spud, Curtis Coleman, was on the other line and, and Spud said, man, Mookie's dead. I was like, what, ha what happened? He said, so-and-so killed him. And I knew the person who killed him. And I just remember feeling rage and being upset. And, and unfortunately, this was not my first friend that was killed, but this was different because I knew the person who killed him very well. And uh, the night of the wake, we all carried guns and we planned on retaliating. And uh, me and my boys, um, at the wake, we were invited to be with the family because I guess maybe it was kind of like a little setup type situation, um, for counseling. And the mother of my homeboy stood before her son's casket. And she said, I forgive the young man who killed my son. And I'm 18 years old. I just turned 18. Remember I failed the second grade. So I'm a year behind just, uh, you know, just turned 18 and I had the most mature moment of my life. And here's the key, man. You can be in the exact same environment of breakthrough information. The person next to you gets it and you don't. The only difference is you just weren't present. You weren't hungry. And for some reason, I was present. I was mentally present and I was listening to her. And she said, I forgive the young man who killed my son. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't love him like that. I mean, if the mother had already found forgiveness, who am I to go get revenge? And I remember having that moment and, and it just, it changed everything for me. I walked up that night, I gave, I gave my gun to a preacher and I said, I don't want to live like this anymore. And that was just a, a major turning point in my life. And the very next day at the funeral, there was a girl sitting like three or four seats down from me. And I, read, I looked at her, I'm like, I don't know who she is, but she's hot. And uh, her name was Crystal. Um, Crystal today is my wife for 21 years. That was February the 6th, 1993. 
we got married in 98. So that was a major turning point in my life. And that kind of started me building the blocks of, 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 of basically winning my life back. And here's the thing. I wasn't a victim. A victim would say, you know, uh, you know, the, the man is trying to hold me down. Society is trying to, uh, you know, hold me down and hold me back. That's what a victim would say. But I became the victor, not the victim. I took ownership and responsibility for everything that I did that credited to the poverty in my life. Now, the things that I can't control, it's not my fault I lived in a battered women's shelter. It's not my fault that I was, you know, I, I raised around gangs and violence and drugs. It wasn't my fault I failed the second grade. I didn't have a normal life. What is my fault is I chose to not consult my past to determine my future. So a huge, Apple, a huge pivotal point in my life was forgiving myself and refusing to have the conversation of the past with myself again. Mm. How, how would you advise a younger listener to, to experience something similar to that? Like, what, what have you found to be effective ways to get to that point of forgiveness of, of yourself? Looking in the mirror and having a conversation with you. And I heard Tony, Tony Robbins say this before. And I remember, you know, I was maybe like 22 years old, still this, you know, I was kind of like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air kid. I, I was that, you know, class clown, uh, teachers loved me, kids loved me, got in trouble, but not really real trouble because I would be able to talk my way out of it. Um, but, you know, I heard Tony Robbins say, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> that's a bull. I, that's not, I mean, I've never heard anybody say something like that before in their life. What you mean? Look at yourself and tell it, it was, what? And I remember I was brushing my teeth and I jokingly looked in the mirror and said, Johnny, I love you. And I lost it. I, I literally lost it crying. I couldn't compose myself. I never told myself I love you. I thought that that would be arrogant. And that was a huge moment for me because I can never make it about anybody else if I don't know how to make it about me first. How can you help complete someone else when you're incomplete? So I had this season, I talk about this in my book, From the Hood to Doing Good. I'm trying to see if I have one in here, I don't. I talk about this in my book called From the Hood to Doing Good. You have to have a season in your life of separation. And that season of separation is about building you. I got away from certain things so I can build me. So if you're listening to this right now is learn to love you. Love to learn you from the inside out. Not, hey, if I buy clothes, people are going to love me. I don't love the way I look more than I love myself. Hmm. That's big, man. And, and one thing that I found recently is like spending time to literally just be with yourself is, mm -hmm. is hugely impactful, but it, it, it's tough, man. Like when I was just starting to like actually spend time with myself, like it, it's difficult. So do you have any, any thoughts or, or wisdom that you could share with, with, with a younger person who has not invested time into, into just being with themselves and, and, and learning from themselves and embracing who they are? Listen, whatever you invest in the most is going to win. Whatever you invest in the most is ultimately going to win. So if you're investing 
into music more than you are investing into you, whatever you're listening to is going to win. And you got to ask yourself, who do you want to win? And if the answer is not you, why? What happened in your life where you unsubscribed to the possibility of winning? because you were born to win. You won your first race in life, 100 million sperm cells and little bitty OU made it to the other side. As a matter of fact, you didn't just win. It was, now you gotta understand, this is total annihilation. Like there were no survivors after you. So I'm talking to winners who are listening to me right now. The question is what happened? What happened that caused you to disassociate and unsubscribe from what you were born to be and do. And that's when. So the conversation is from you to you. If you don't give yourself permission to win, you will never win. If you don't give yourself, if you don't grant yourself permission to increase, you're never going to increase. You may increase in your knowledge of the latest lyrics of a rap song, or you increase your knowledge and the you know the 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 the, the, the latest um, possibilities in gaming, so you can win. That's I mean that's fun. That's great. That's a hobby. People get confused with hobby and life. When you make your hobby your life, that's devaluing yourself. My life is everything that's going to outlive me. And it's my job, it's Johnny Wimbry's job to make a decree of what's going to be here when I'm gone. So as a young man, I have never, ever lived above my means, ever. The house that I, I live in a multi-million dollar uh, community now, but I could live in a hell of a lot better home than I live in right now. I have never lived at my means because I am focused on generational wealth. Man, when you find your why, your W-H-Y, the reason and the purpose and passion of why you want to be successful at anything, trust me, you're gonna get it because that why is bigger than you. Mm -hmm. when, did you when did you find your why? You know, my why, um, even before I had kids, I wanted my children's first memory of life to not be connected to destruction. My first memory in life was living in a battered women's shelter. So it's amazing of how I use that why to be the foundation of my success. And the foundation of my success is, the foundation of my success is this. I just don't want my children's earliest memory in life to be destruction like mine. And that was a step. And then another step. Then I went to, I don't want my kids to ever know what it feels like to not have electricity. I don't want my kids to ever know what it's like to not have hot water. I don't want my kids, and this is before I had kids. Yeah. And so I've already started building a platform to not allow them to feel the emotion of destruction because of lack. So I fought not to have lack. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. Now, uh, I want to flash back to, to your story where you were at, at the funeral, you, you met your now wife. Yeah. Um, 
that, that seems like it was a pretty, a pretty pivotal moment for you. Um, so moving forward from that, like what changed between like the lifestyle you were living before that and what happened after bringing you to, to the place where you're at now? Well, I mean, a, a lot changed, you know, finances can change a lot, a lot of things in your life. Um, but what really changed more so than anything else is my ability of exposure. I began to allow myself to only be in atmospheres that expose me to a mindset of increase. So I, I and here's, here's something that's really key if you're listening to this um, from a young person's perspective. And I'm talking to older people too. You can have an old person, you can have a young perspective and still be old. So I, I fight to have a young perspective. Um, so a young perspective is this. I found myself fighting to be in circles with people who outthought me. I didn't want to be the smartest person in the room. So if you find yourself being the smartest person in the room and you're comfortable with that, why? Like, why doesn't it scare you to be the smartest person in the room. That is such a dangerous place of a contentment. If you're content with everybody looking up to you, what are you looking up to? If everything in your life, you have people around you looking up to you, that means you're looking down at them, which is slowing you down. Fight to find atmospheres that you are afraid to speak. You ever been in an atmosphere? Like I've been in, I've been in rooms with Bishop T.D. Jakes. I've been in rooms with, you know, Steve Harvey and, and Les Brown and Joel Osteen, just very, very powerful people of influence. And I'm the quietest person in the room. I'm afraid to talk. That's how you stretch yourself. Put yourself in environments that you're afraid to speak in. Mm. You have, there's no way you can't grow being the quietest person in the room and you're not the smartest person in the room. You can't grow being the smartest person in the room. That's the truth. How do you, how do you get in those rooms? Like how did you start to get into those rooms? That's a with really those good question. That is the good question. How did I get in that room? I served. Now I want you to understand something. I've served to the point of physical exhaustion where I needed to be hooked up to an IV. I have served to the point of being so extremely uncomfortable that I physically got sick. I've woken up at 6 a.m. picking up high profile people from the airport, not allowed to speak, I'm just there to drive get them to the green room, serve them coffee, and literally stand on the wall until they need something. But the key is I was able to listen to the conversations. Serving allows you to be in the circle of conversations that you can't pay to be, about, be around. So I served, and I'm, this is not one year of serving. I would say from around the, I would say from 1996, and I was barely 20 years old. I was 20, 21 years old. Till 
till I would say around 25, 26. So about five or six years of my life was intense serving. Intense, like very intense. But I was serving high profile leaders that I wanted to be around their information. How'd you make those connections? Yeah, well, not one, uh, listen, not one high profile person will say no to someone who wants to serve them, especially if they don't have any motives. And people, you know, the higher the level of individuals that you're serving, they have a high level of, of discernment. So I, I, I know if somebody is serving me with, with, with ulterior motives or, or you just want to be, you just want to be around me because you want to get something from me versus getting something to me. When I serve these leaders, I wanted to get something to them and that was to serve them. And the more they trusted me in the atmosphere, the more openly they had conversations. And every now and then I was invited to the conversation. So the way you make those, listen, there's not, I don't know anybody that has high profile seminars that doesn't have an ambassador program that doesn't have a volunteer type program. All you have to do is serve in those type of atmospheres without having the mindset that I want to move up and get closer and closer. No, have the heart and the mindset. I just want to serve. I want to serve the people. I want to be a benefit. I want to bring value. That's what's noticed. That's so true, man. I mean, it's all about your motivations. And I was talking about this yesterday um, on, on a live stream. It's like, if your motivation is selfless, you're gonna, your results are going to be astronomically better than if it's selfish because people mm-hmm. can pick up on that. And like, you're, you're, you're so confined by, if, yeah. if everything you're doing is just for your own benefit, you're so confined by like <laughs> your ability to impact people. 100%, 100%, man. Listen, I, one of the principles that I teach, and I'm talking about this in my new book, is um, you got to give up to get up, to get up. You give something up to get up. I have mastered giving up. I've, I, I, one thing that my wife, anybody who's been close to me will tell you, Johnny has, I, I don't struggle with giving. I don't struggle with sacrificing. Um, but I don't give to people who ask. Think about that. Mm. I built I built six schools in Guatemala with my own check, with my own with my own finances. I've teams have gone to go build these schools together. Not one of those schools asked me to build it. I've reunited um, kids from a third world that had to escape the government in Africa. I've united mother and son who hadn't seen each other for three years, four years, because of government. Um, 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 craziness to be able to finance stuff like that. That means the world to me, but that's just the art of giving up so you can get up. I never get returns for, from things like I don't get a, a, a return from those people. I don't get a return from those entities, but it's just something about God and the way that he works. He honors it every single time. Yeah. And I mean, you're not doing it to get a return. Like that's not, that's not why you're doing it. No, no. And it always, and there's always a return. It just comes from a different, different, different place of the world. Couldn't agree more. So I got a lot of younger listeners who are interested in the world of network marketing. So I do want to dive into that a little bit before we wrap up the show. So when did you first get exposed to the idea of network marketing? I was 25 years old, February the 11th of the year 2000. I remember like it was yesterday. I got a phone call 
friend of mine named Dan Hernandez, ex-police officer, says, Johnny, I got a new website. I need you to check it out. Now, this is the year 2000. I was jealous. <laughs> he had a website. I didn't have a website. I wasn't the guy that you really wanted to call about network marketing. You call me back in those days. I was an insurance agent. I was you know, high-level sales, high-pressure sales. So I didn't really give network marketing an opportunity. As a matter of fact, if you call me to recruit me in a network marketing company, mentally, I would stamp Amway on your forehead and Pyramid on your butt. And every time I saw you coming, that's the visual that I would have. This is the MLM guy. Get the hell out of here. Hmm. But Dan did it different. Dan's like, hey, man, go check out my new website. I went to go look because I was jealous. I, I went to go look. I was hating. I was like, hey, man, dude. You sell home security systems. I sell home security systems. How the hell can you afford to have a website? <laughs> so he just got me to go look at a presentation. And that day I joined the industry. Um, I hit the top of the comp plan um, very quick. As a matter of fact, I made over $100,000 my first 90 days in the network marketing industry. I've never met one person ever that's ever done that. Now, I know people who make $100,000 in one week in network marketing, but none of them in their first network marketing company in their first 90 days in the industry. Typically, you have to try a company again, again, and again until you find that home run. My first network marketing company in terms of finances was a home run. In terms of company, it was a zero. That company went out of business within 10 months, but it was too late. I already tasted the Kool-Aid. I already got a fever. You know, I already had that flavor and that taste in my mouth, and all I had to do was find a good company and find a home. So, you know. I love home-based businesses. I love network marketing. You know, network marketing comes with the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like every other industry does. You've got to find something that you're passionate about. Um, if, if, if you're only passionate about the compensation planning in your company, that's going to die. No one can just stay emotionally excited about a compensation plan. You've got to be emotionally excited about the service and or product that that company has to offer. If you're only in love with the compensation plan, you know, it drives me nuts. I would consider myself an expert in the network marketing industry. I think anybody who's made a million dollars a year for over 10 years doing the exact same thing, they're an expert at what they do, right? I would agree. I would consider myself an expert in the network marketing industry. And with all that being said, anytime I find someone who's pitching me on a compensation plan more than they pitch me on the product or service, I automatically know that that's somebody that's not going to be there for a while. That, that, that person's lifespan is very short. You've got to fall in love with the company. You've got to fall in love with the, with, with the product and you've got to, you've got to fall in love, you know, with the service. And then, and then you take a fine coast tomb, a, a fine tooth comb, whatever they say, <laughs> and go through the comp plan. Make the comp plan like number three not your number one choice. So clearly those results were, were remarkable. And, and the fact that you haven't come across anyone else who's done the same thing is, is really impressive given all the people in the industry that you know. So mm -hmm. what set you apart? Like what were the characteristics, the attributes, the actions that, that set you apart from everyone else and, and that gave you the opportunity to have that early success? When you're three months behind on your house, and about three or four months behind on your cars, that's all the motivation I needed. My back was against the wall. The same guy that would never would have listened to network marketing was broke. And my wife didn't work. I told her she would never have to work. That was my responsibility as, as a man to always give her that option. And she exercised that option. So I find myself in a situation where I'm about to lose my home. I got a brand new home that I just built at 22 years old. 
Nobody in my family's ever had a brand new home. And the fear, the fear of poverty, like I, I ate, slept, and breathed that opportunity for about nine months. And I was debt free within, with, with, with I was, I was about $50,000 in debt and credit cards at the age of 25. That's not including my home. It's not including my cars. And, um, you know, I didn't know how I was going to pay my, I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. And that motivated me. That motivated me nonstop. Like I was an absolute beast when it came to doing presentations and it was non Stop. If my phone wasn't ringing, I was nervous. If I wasn't doing a presentation, I was nervous. I was non-stop. So my message to anybody who wants to master this thing called entrepreneurialism of, ne of network marketing, if you're not doing two exposures a day, you're not a network marketer. You're just a groupie. You love to say that you're a network marketer. You're not. You're not. You're just a groupie of the industry. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know people in Amway that don't make $10 a year, but they'll never quit Amway because they go to the seminars and those seminars change their lives. I'm not that guy. I'm not the type of person that's going to be a groupie to the industry. I want to master it. If there's a top of the compensation plan, I'm getting it. I've never not hit the top of any comp plan I've ever worked in the network marketing industry, ever. Wow. That's massive. So as far as network marketing goes, my man, like, what would you say to the young 18, 19, 20 year old who's thinking about getting involved in the industry? Like somebody who hasn't gotten involved before and they're seeing this opportunity, maybe one of their friends or somebody that they know is like telling them about what they're doing. Um, what do you, what do you say to that person? Like who, who's thinking about potentially getting in? I would say only take opinions from individuals whose life you want. In other words, you're going to have people who you look up to. that are going to say, don't do it. CPAs, doctors, attorneys, you're going to have very educated individuals that did the traditional education route. And they're going to, and from, from a good place in their heart, not a bad place, from a good place in their heart, they're going to try to save you. They're going to try to say, you know, don't do that. It's a scam. You know, you know, uh, um, only the people at the top make all the money. If you take their opinions and you make it your reality, then you have to take their lifestyle too. So if you don't want to live in their house, if you don't want to live on their street, if you wouldn't want their, their bank account, why would you take their opinions? And you may say, Johnny, well, some of these people have great bank accounts, but it doesn't mean anything if their time broke. You can have a million dollars in the bank, but not have time to spend it. Where's the value in that? The network marketing industry creates freedom. I'm talking to you right now. Right now, you're listening to my voice. And while you're listening to my voice, I'm making money in Singapore. I'm making money in Poland. I'm making money in Russia. I'm making money in Cyprus, in Bucharest, in London, in, in, in Greece. I'm making money all over Africa. I'm making money in Australia. I'm making money all around the world while you're listening to my voice right now. And there are people who are going to work making six figures a year, living a great lifestyle in terms of what income can do, and they hate their lives. I know people who make over a million dollars a year as anesthesiologists, and they hate their life because they subscribe to a title 
that someone else encouraged them to become and they didn't do it for passion, they did it for compensation. Remember I said, if you chase compensation more than you chase your passion, whatever you're chasing for compensation is going to burn out. And if you understand it's going to, and there's nothing wrong with that if you play it to your advantage. I'm cool with playing the game for 72 months so I can own my life. So if I have to be faithful at my job, faithful you know, as an employee, I'm faithful because I have an exit strategy. The only reason you would go to work pissed off and hating your life is because you don't have an exit strategy. There's not one person who's listening to me right now that I can't coach you in the next 72 months to create a 36 months. I'm sorry. I always say 36 months. Within 36 months, that's three years, I can show you how to create an exit strategy from any high-level profile job that you have and replace the income and double it. There's not one person I can't show that strategy to in 36 months. The question is, do you consider that a risk? See, when I work with people, they go to work happy. I have, I, I, have, <laughs> I have individuals that have gone to work happy and hated their job before I started coaching them. Why do they go to work happy? Because they have an exit strategy. The only reason you'd be pissed off because you don't have an exit strategy. When your boss says, hey, can you go get me some coffee? Yes, sir. Be glad to. Why the hell is Johnny so happy? Because I'm not going to be here too much longer. Mm. anything that creates you to become bitter is owning you. It's okay to be angry. Don't become bitter. So many people are bitter at their occupation that they signed up for. That's the truth. That's the truth, my man. Like having that exit strategy, that's key. That's, that's really, that's really big. Like I feel like a lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years old, so I, I can't speak on behalf of, of older people. Hopefully um, you'll never be able to speak on their behalf. Because you'll own your life forever. Exactly, man. That's that's so that's so important. And, and so many people, like you said, man, they're, they're, they don't have that plan. They don't have that strategy for like, how is this going to get better? They're just sitting there. They're complaining. They're, yeah. they're talking about how they wish it was, but they're not taking any action to move themselves towards that place. They're not making a game plan. Well, listen, man. You got to participate in your own rescue. I could say that a thousand times and people still won't do it. We have a microwave society that we have created where people want to hit 30 seconds on the microwave and hit start, and they want a process success within 30 seconds. Listen, you've got to participate. You've got to participate. The worst thing that can happen to you is you obtain massive success without having the character of success. Mm. The going through the process builds the character. I have never not been a millionaire since I've been a millionaire. They say that the average person will lose a million dollars three times before they learn to keep it. And that's true, that's factual. I chose not to participate in that statistic. When I made $100,000 my first year, I've never not made $100,000 a year. When I made $50,000 the first time, I was 22 years old, I made $54,000 in one year. I have never, not made $54,000 a year again. That was my point of no return. So when I coach people, I'm teaching them, you've got to create and establish a new point of no return for every new success that you have. So when I made half a million dollars a year my first time, that was my new point of no return. I could never go back 
to less than half a million dollars a year. I can't. To this day, I never can. And this year will be the most profitable year I've ever had in my life. That's awesome. That's great. The bad news is I can never go back to that. I can never go back to less than my new success. It's called creating a new point of no return. Hmm. I love that philosophy so much. And I'm sure that really resonates with a lot of our younger listeners who are, who are trying to consistently be making progress, like set those points of no return, because like that's, it's going to force you to put your back against yeah. the wall. Like you said, man, the, the younger you can implement this, the better. Listen, there are people who are listening to my voice right now that are broke. There will be worth more than I am when they're 25 because they'll implement it. You just got to do me a favor. I need that shout out. I need that testimony. <laughs> These are principles that I teach around the world. And it's amazing. I could be speaking in a stadium of 20,000 people and five people are listening. That's all right. It's all good. The other people, they're just being entertained. Those five, they're having impact. There's impartation going on. And they're absolutely going to go apply the principles. Mm. And it's not applying them for one day. You can't, listen, you can work out for 10 hours straight. Or you can work out for 10 days for one hour. Who's going to have the biggest impact? It's the person who worked out 10 days for one hour because now you're creating a new habit and you're going to do it again and again and again. You can have a massive motivation workout for one day and be tired for the next three days and never do it again. It's a lifestyle. You got to pick this thing up and freaking run with it. I love it. I love it. So, Johnny, I got some questions that I like to ask all of my guests before yes. we wrap up the show. You feeling ready for those? Let's go. Let's do it. First question, what is something that genuinely has Johnny Wimbry excited right now? You know, right now, um, I'll share this with you. Um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited because right now I'm in a process of my life where I'm teaching people to do what I've done by showing them exactly how I did it. I'm helping people, even people in the network marketing industry, you got to understand, I would not have a global team if I wasn't a published author. Becoming a published author put me in an atmosphere where when I go out and, and, and I'm doing trainings or I'm going out recruiting and speaking, I'm giving people my book. So the level of credibility that I'm bringing to the table as a leader outshines most leaders who are out there because I'm documented. So what I'm doing is I'm helping people find their voice by becoming authors, not just becoming authors. Look at the book. You see it? That's Les Brown. That's me, my friend, Nick Hallett. That's uh, Carol, Carol Cockles on, on, on the cover of this book. This is actually her book. This book belongs to Carol. It's not my book. It's her book. So she is in this book. And what happens is she is now a co-star author in one of my books, myself, Les Brown. So when she walks in the room, she could say, I co-authored a book with Les Brown. I co-authored a book with Johnny Wimbry. I co-authored a book with Nick Halleck and 18 other people around the world. But it's her book. Her name is on the book, featuring Carol, on the side of the book, featuring Carol. You go to Amazon.com, they order her book, not mine. My company produces it, but it's her book. So for the fraction of a cost of becoming a brand new author, you know, becoming a published author could cost you twenty to $30,000, sometimes even a lot more than that because you lose a lot learning 
especially writing your first book. So I help people become published authors. I help people become, you know, professional speakers. So everything that I'm doing right now is fitting the circle of building the biggest and baddest voices that the planet, you know, Zig Ziglar, he's gone. Jim Rohn is gone. Dennis Waitley, Les Brown, these guys, you know, it's their turn to pass the baton to us. So I'm in position to build and create and nurture the next greatest speakers, the next greatest authors on the planet. And many of them will come from the network marketing world, just like Zig Ziglar did, just like Jim Rohn did, just like most of us do, ha has. So I'm helping people. If, you, if you're serious, you're listening to me right now, you want to become a published author? for a fraction of the cost of what it would do, uh, it, it would cost you to do it by yourself. And not only are you becoming a published author with me, you get to leverage my audience. I get to leverage your audience. You get to leverage Les Brown's audience. Like how much would that cost you to be able to leverage millions of people around the world who never even would have known you existed. And the only reason they know you exist because you're a published author with me, your audience, they probably don't know I exist, but the only reason they're, they're going to know I exist because I'm in your book. We, we are, we're borrowing each other's credibility. We're, we're, we're leveling up and, 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 um, and um, just basically throwing each other's names to the world. So if you truly want to be a published author, go to costarauthor.com right now. I'm doing interviews in my office today. We're looking for authors right now to finish a new book that we're working on. Go to costarauthor.com, costarauthor.com. Right now, we're looking for people that we can help take their voice to the world. That's what I'm excited about. Sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no worries, man. That's an exciting, yeah, you know, exciting mission. Yeah, you're jazzed yeah. up, dude. You're fired, man. <laughs> I love it. So next thing I'm curious about, uh, do you have any habits, Johnny, that have served you particularly well, either in your business or your lifestyle? Mm -hmm. I have a habit of surrounding myself around the thinking that outthinks me. And that may sound crazy. Like <laughs> I make it a habit to surround myself around the thinking that outthinks me. Why? That stretches me. I have a habit of being stretched. I have a habit of getting out of my comfort zone. That is a habit for me. Being comfortable makes me uncomfortable. Hmm. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that, man. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So Johnny, is there any content? I know you're producing a lot of content across social media, yeah. these books that you're writing, man. Um, is there any content that you're consuming, whether that's books, audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube channels? Man, you know, uh, every day I work out, I'm listening to YouTube. Right now, um, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes, um, his voice is, is, is just perfect for me, um, especially under the umbrella of leadership. Hmm. I love listening and re-listening to Bishop Jakes teach on leadership. Um, a uh, Jim Rohn always got him yeah. on, you know, quick, quick play. Tony Robbins, um, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, you know, Tony kind of gets me off my ass in a different way than most people can. Uh, Les Brown, I got direct access. If I wanted to call Les right now, I could call Les. Um, Les is kind of like that, that resounding voice that's in my head. Um, um, when I feel like I'm out of balance, he always gets me back into balance. Um, you know, I, I'm just constantly consuming. Dr. Miles Monroe, hmm. the late, great Dr. Miles Monroe, you got to look him up. Um, and, you know, s s some of his stuff may be a little bit antiquated in terms of the time period um, that sure. he lived in, um, in the cultural, you know, he's from the Bahamas. So culturally, it may, it may turn some people off uh, 
he's very man centric, <laughs> but he's, you know, it's, 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 it's quality. It's super quality leadership stuff that he's teaching. Um, and I'm really digging, uh, miles Monroe, Monroe right now, probably more so than when he was alive. Hmm. It was just like, <laughs> he'll shake the foundation of your soul. If you listen to it the right way. Fascinating, man. I'll have to, I'll have to look into him. Yeah. You got to check him out. Check One thing out. I'm also super curious about as well is, is the things that the guests that I have on the show do that they, they choose not to scale. And what I mean by that is quick example, like every single day I'll pull out my phone, um, I'll hop on Instagram and I'll shoot like five to 10 video DMs to just new followers on the day. Um, and basically be like, hey, Johnny, how's it going? Thank you so much for the follow. Let me know if there's any way that I can add value to anything that you're doing. Have a wonderful day. Something super simple like that. I don't bring any of my VAs on to just like send those out all day for me because that's not the point. The yeah. point is to like start a conversation. That's why I'm on social media in the first wow. place. So is there anything in your business, in any of the things that you do that you choose not to scale and to keep that personal like Johnny Wimbry touch? You know, um, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. As a matter of fact, what I'm really, really good at is, 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 is a very small portion of my life versus what I'm not good at, which means, you know, my gift, if, 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 if this hand was my entire life, my gift would probably be like the tip of my finger. And all these other areas, I'm just not good at. And I'm okay with that, it has worked for me. What I don't do is, I don't get out of position to go be good at all these things. I've mastered what I'm good at. The worst thing you could do is get out of, get out of position of your gift to go, to, to, to go work on your weaknesses. I manage my weaknesses, I master my strengths. Hmm. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Johnny, man, you've been dropping so much value on our listeners. I'm extremely grateful for that. Where can they go if they want to follow up with you, learn more about what you're doing right now, and um, just connect with you further? Absolutely. Listen, man, I am hunting for the next powerful voices that are going to rock the foundation of this planet. And if you really believe that there's something inside you that doesn't let you sleep because you know that you were called, you got this, you got this thing, that this thumbprint, this DNA that you have to leave on this planet, I wanna hear from you. Go to coachjohnny.com. If you wanna be an author, go to costarauthor.com. And if you, if you really, really want to learn the professional public speaking arena where I've made millions as a professional speaker, millions, if you wanna learn how I made a, to over $200,000 in sales in one hour, speaking on a stage in Australia, I want to share that with you. Go to WimbryEbook.com, just like it sounds. Wimbry, my name, WimbryEbook.com. I got a free gift for you. And WimbryEbook, just look my name up, WimbryEbook.com. So those are three websites. I normally don't do that, uh, but I know that your message um, uh, reaches a, a vast market of audiences. So WimbryEbook.com costarauthor.com. If you're looking for a coach, go to coachjohnny.com. I don't work with just everyone, but I will at least give you an interview to see if you qualify. Amazing, man. I'm, I'm super grateful for you sharing all those amazing Thank resources. You. And I'll be sure to link all those up in the show notes for our listeners as well. Um, so they don't have to remember all those different links. Um, but I just shout out to Instagram. They just got, they, I just lost them, but go ahead. <laughs> no worries at all. No worries at all, Johnny. Um, last, last thing that I just yeah. want to say is like, do you have any last like closing thoughts, words of wisdom or anything you want to wrap the show up with here today? You know, 
if I were to share like with, with the youngsters and I, I really, really highly encourage you to get my book. It's a voice for a younger audience, but it reaches all audiences from the hood to doing good research that order from my website. I'll, I'll autograph anything that's ordered from my website. Um, but you can go to amazon.com and get it there too, or any major bookstore. Let me leave you with this. In every decision that you make in life, you're going to be entertaining a friend or a foe. In my book, I, I define this super simple. A friend is a person, place, or thing that's pushing you towards your destiny. It's a person, place, or thing that's pushing you towards your destiny. A foe, an F-O-E, a foe is a person, place, or thing that's pulling you away from your destiny. A foe will interrupt your destiny. A friend will complement your destiny. Anytime that you identify a thing, a place, or a person as a foe, you have to eliminate that immediately. There are people in my life that I had to learn to love from a distance for a season because they were a foe in terms of where I was heading in my life. I'm not saying I cut people off forever. There are people that will cut off forever, but it's based on something they did, not what I did. But a person, place, or thing that's complementing your future, that's a friend. A foe, F-O-E, is a person, place, or thing that's distracting, cutting off, or limiting your destiny. And when you identify a foe and you entertain that foe and you keep that foe, you now are your own foe. Refuse to be your own foe. Mm. Find thank those you friends. Find those brother. friends. Johnny, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your time. You're incredibly and welcome. You're on Young Smart Money. All right, brother. God bless, man. It's been an honor and a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this latest episode of Young Smart Money and got a ton of value out of it. If you did, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. It only takes about five seconds. If you're walking the dog, if you're going to the gym, pull that phone out of your pocket, press that subscribe button, and uh, drop us some love in the ratings and review sections as well. Those really do help the podcast get in front of even more people and helps us get even more amazing guests on the show. And I do read each and every one of your ratings, reviews, message that you send me. Uh, they, they really do impact me and the show and show me exactly what you want to be seeing here on Young Smart Money. So again, do not forget to drop us a rating, review, and subscribe over in iTunes. And guys, have a wonderful day. Take care. And I really do appreciate you choosing to spend your time here with us on Young Smart Money. Have a wonderful day.